0: When Jesus just uh, did an exorcism and he cast out a demon, and then he was challenged by the Pharisees that he's casting out demon by the, the the prince of demons, the king of demons. So that is the story that we're reading today. Uh, it was mentioned three times in the Synoptic Gospels, in Mark 3, in Matthew 12, and in Luke 11. Uh, pretty much the story is the same in all, um, in all accounts, with the exception of Luke, who added um, like Ma- Matthew and Luke a little bit different on how they followed the conversation. Just remember this. Luke is historical. He went and he tried to do a more accurate description of the accounts of how, happen, how it happened. So if somebody was stuck to the actual factual events, historical events, it's Luke. Matthew, think about him as the one who is just kind of like topical. So whenever there is uh, one topic that he's discussing, so he pulls all the events together and pile it together when he uh, discusses that topic. Think about it this way. When we were going through the book of Hebrews, we did it verse by verse, right? Chronological, just in order, that would be Luke. But when we started the blood of Jesus, we just pulled this individual scriptures in the Bible that discusses the blood of Jesus and we started that, that's Matthew. You guys are with me? So, for example, we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount, the parables that Matthew used, like in, in Matthew 13, you're gonna see that there are seven parables about the kingdom of God. We don't know, obviously, we well, were in there, but chances are Matthew compiled all these parables from the different uh, teachings of Jesus and just put it in one chapter. Just like the Sermon on the Mount, chances are Matthew compiled a bunch of teaching of Jesus and put it in one sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Again, topical versus historical. That, that explains a lot of the differences between Matthew and Luke. Having said that, today we're gonna to read from Matthew, um, just because he elaborated more on that incident a few weeks ago. If you remember, Jesus gave three Fs right to um, to to the Pharisees who were saying that he was casting out demons by the prince of demons. We uh, spoke from uh, Luke 11, if you remember, a few weeks ago. And if you can look with me, actually, in Luke passage, in verse 18. Um, well actually verse 17 Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall the first F verse 18 if Satan is divided against himself how can his kingdom stand? I say to I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Elizabeth. The second if in verse 19, and if I drive out demons by Elizabeth, by whom do your followers, your your children, my disciples, drive them, uh, drive them out. So then they will be your judges. And the last if that Jesus said, uh, verse 20, and if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Pretty much the same uh, wording we see in Matthew, not much deviation here. We're going to pick up from Matthew 12 verse 29. Matthew 12 verse 29. Now Jesus still elaborating on the answer that he is casting out demon by Belizebub, that prince of demon verse 29 of matthew 12 or again how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his position unless he first ties up the strong man then he can plunder his house whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters and so i tell you so First, in verse 29, Jesus told the parable of the strong and the stronger men. Then in verse 29, well, I apologize, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Now, Jesus is commenting on that in a way. And then verse 31, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 32, anyone who speak a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the one to come. And then Jesus now is using a different parable. Verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree recognized by its fruit, you brought vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty idle word that they have spoken for by your words will be acquitted and by your words will be condemned let's just read a little bit from luke um if you read with me the strong man parable that's in luke 11:21 The wording is a little bit different. Luke kind of elaborated on that parable. Matthew just gave you the bottom line. Here is the point of that parable and moving on. Now Luke elaborated on what Jesus said and he said in verse 21, When a strong man fully armed guard his own house, his positions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his Plunder and then verse 23 goes back to be parallel to Matthew Whoever is not with me is against me and who does not gather with me scatters and then Now this part is not mentioned in Matthew When an impure spirit comes out of the person goes through the places seeking rest and does not find it Then it says I will return to the house I left when it arrives it finds the house swept up and clean swept clean and put in order then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself or itself and they go in and live there and the final conditions that person is worse than her his first Amen? Amen. So this is pretty much the answer that Jesus has given. Again, we stopped a few weeks ago about the three Fs that Jesus gave them. If Satan is divided, then his kingdom can stand. I.e., your logic is faulty. Number two, if I'm casting out demon by Elizabeth, how is my disciples are casting out demon? That is. If your logic is true, you still have a problem because my disciples prove me wrong, and not prove you wrong. And number three, if I am casting out demons by the finger of God, which we've seen, this is a reference from the Old Testament, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now Jesus is continue his arguing his argument by using a parable of a strong and a stronger man. Jesus said, if a strong man keeps his house safe. Everything is good, everything is intact, nobody can come and touch him, and his goods are safe. But then, when somebody is stronger than him, he conquers that strong man, he binds him. That's what he said in Mark and in Matthew. Obviously, in Luke, he elaborated more on that. And not just bind him, but he's also able to plunder his goods. Now, who is that strong man? Yeah. No. Devil. The strong man is the devil, yeah. the stronger man is Jesus. Remember the context of this parable, Jesus was casting out demon, right? Mm-hmm. So that man who was demon possessed is the possession of? the strong man, Satan. For so long, Satan has that demon-possessed guy under his control, doing whatever they want. The strong man, the the demon-possessed man was the position of Satan, the strong one. But Jesus here took the initiatives and he cast out the demon out of that man and he was able to plunder the man who was demon possessed take him and transfer him from being a position of the strong one that is Satan and now he's transferring him to his own position because Jesus is stronger than the strong man. Amen? Amen. And this analogy, this parable is most likely an illusion or taken from the book of Isaiah chapter 49 verse 24 to 25. That's probably what Jesus was referring to here. Here's what the scripture says back there. Can plunder be taken from warriors, warrior or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from the warriors and plunders received from the fierce. And look at this. Now God is identifying himself with his servant who's doing this work. And I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. In Isaiah 49, the whole chapter is about the servant of the Lord who will bring God's purposes and his salvation to the uttermost ends of the earth. And he's saying that the servant of the Lord will establish his kingdom not by peace, and being kind and gentle to each to every person and every being out there he can establish his kingdom by Power that he will conquer the warriors. He will conquer the fierce ones, and he gonna take away their goods, their spoil out of their hands to become his. Amen. And we see that in the context of the exorcism that we were just reading about. Jesus took the initiatives. He conquered Satan, and he took that person who was captive to Satan to be his own property slave captive in a way just like you and me amen that's pretty much our story isn't it right we were slaves to satan jesus conquered satan in our own individual lives and because of that now we are servants and we are slaves to christ and we are children of the most high god amen now the wording of that parable is a little bit different mark and matthew on one hand versus luke on one hand Mark and Matthew again give you the bottom line, the, the point of that parable. And they say that when the stronger one comes, he ties up the one who is strong. Amen? And this is very interesting. The word to be tied up, to be bound, was also used in Luke thirteen sixteen to describe a woman in her relationship with Satan. That Satan was binding her up. That lady who was demon possessed I think for 18 years and Jesus healed her, set her free on the Sabbath. And everybody was complaining, how come you set that lady free on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, you, you unloose your donkey and your animal to feed them and give them water on the Sabbath. Should I have not done that to, the lady, to this lady, the child of Abraham who was bound for 18 years by Satan? Now think about that. This lady was bound by Satan for 18 years. Why? Because Satan is stronger than her. So Satan can bind her. Right? But when Jesus comes he bound who? Satan the strong one because Jesus is stronger than Satan. Therefore Jesus is able to bind Satan the strong one. Amen? Now I don't know about you. If you're I'm not a dog person. So imagine that you have a dog that is still a little bit wild, not very well trained. And you're going to visit the guy who owns that dog. And you're trying to get into the house and that dog is barking a storm. And let's say he's a big dog and just, you know, fierce and just scary a little bit. Then the owner of the house, that the owner of the house, the owner of that dog will tell you, don't you worry, that dog is tied up. Now, would you be scared to go inside the house or will you be okay to go inside the house, assuming that you get scared of dogs? Depends how long the rope was. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, that That's right, assuming the rope is short. That is not gonna reach to you. Would you be scared to get by that dog in spite of the fact that this dog is barking at you and like if the dog can have it his way, he will be all over you. Would you be scared or not? Why? Because it is bound. The idea is that when you bind it, it kind of lose all its power. It's lose all its authority. It lose all its effectiveness. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He bound Satan. He bind him by his own power. And because Jesus because Satan is bound now, then Satan has lost all his authority and all his power because Jesus is stronger than him. You guys are with me? That is very similar to what Paul told us in Colossians 2.15, that Jesus on the cross has disarmed the, the rulers and authorities of the kingdom of darkness. He has made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the cross or through Christ Jesus. God triumphed. So the idea is that Satan and all his authorities, all his principalities and powers have been uh, disarmed, right? Imagine that somebody is being taken away from all his, like his authority is taken away, his arms is being taken away. He's literally declared ineffective, idle, no, cannot do anything. You guys are with me? Mm-hmm. Let me use this analogy. I think I used it before. Imagine that your boss is a mean, mean boss, right? And he or she is just micromanaging you. And every time you go to work, you see that boss, and you're just, every time you see an email from that boss or... The, the boss message you whatever say come to my office. I want to talk to you. You get frightened because you know he just he or she gonna give you such a hard time because that's who they are. They're just mean. They're vicious and they're just nasty people. You guys imagine that right now? Imagine that this boss gets fired now you go and run into this bus into the mall or you run into the bus at the shopping store would you be frightened to see that boss? if you're walking in the shopping mall and you hear your boss calling your name hey you know barb come here i want to talk to you would you be scared the same way you're scared when you see their name popping on your uh, computer asking you to go to their office would you No. why because their authority has been taken away from them, right? They're not your boss anymore. And because they're not your boss anymore, they didn't cease from existence. They still can yell at you and say, hey, come here. But the fact of the matter that their authority has been taken away from them, therefore they are null, they are void, they have no authority or power over you anymore. Amen? That's what Jesus has done to Satan. He disarmed him. He bind him. And because Jesus has bound Satan on the cross, he took all his power, all his authority. Satan is ineffective. He has no power on those who come and take refuge in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, Luke kind of elaborated more on what the stronger man would do. He says that he will do four things. Number one, he attacks the stronger one, the stronger man attacks the strong man. The Greek word here is eperhomai, which to come upon. Now the idea I want to point to you is this. Who's taking the initiative? The stronger man or the strong man? Which who's taking the initiative here? The stronger man right think about it this way Satan has his kingdom in place in order everything is happy and there is nothing that was disturbing him but Jesus took the initiative to attack Satan and his kingdom amen he took the initiative because he loves you and me and because he is not okay with you and me being slaves to Satan being intact and kept as his position and is his property amen it's because of his love he, he he took the initiative to attack the strong one so he can plunder you and me to become his own amen but number two he did not just attack; he overpowers him and the idea of overpowering is to conquer and jesus was able to overpower because he is stronger than satan right if jesus was equal power like satan he would not been able to easily overpower him right it will be a matter of luck and if jesus was weaker than satan he would never be able to overpower him right it's only because jesus is inherently stronger than satan he is able to overpower him amen we see that in the exorcism that story that we just read about our testimonies each of our life testimony testifies that Jesus is stronger than Satan. Amen? Because we all were slaves to Satan at some point, but because Jesus attacked and because he overpowered Satan in our lives, now we are children of light. Amen? Not only that, but he also takes his armor. That's what Luke tells us. The idea of armor here is the full armor. The same word used in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul said, put on the full armor of God. So the idea here is that the, 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 the strong one has every single possible arm that you can think of. He's, he's, he's fully packed up, packed and loaded and ready to go. That's the idea here. He, he takes away, the stronger man takes away his armor Armor in which he relied on. He, the strong man, has so much confidence in this arm that he has. And he used it in a way to keep his positions under his authority. But when the stronger one came, he took his armor from him. Amen? Mm -hmm. And isn't that exactly what happened on the cross? Remember what the book of Hebrews said in Hebrews 2.14? It says this, that since the children, you and me, he like us partake in 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 flesh and blood just like you and me that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is satan right that armor i guess it's now scripture for this this is how i understand that the armor that satan relied on so heavily is uh, death and because of the fear of death he kept every single one of us under his captivity amen but through death jesus took away the armor of satan the one that satan relied on so heavily to keep you and me in his captivity that was taken away from him that armor that satan relied on is taken away from him because now death does not scare us amen Amen, Justina? Death is not effective on our lives anymore because that armor was taken from the strong one. And he no longer can rely on it because now death for us is just a way to life. Amen? So he attacks him. He overpowers him. He took his armor in which he relied. But number uh, four, he plundered his spoil. And that's probably, again, taken from Isaiah 53 12. We, we started this for 15 weeks. But in Isaiah 53, that, again, the servant of the Lord there, and it says this in verse 12 Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great that's because because he died on the cross God says because he poured out his soul because he suffered and he was counted among the transgressions therefore because he died as an atonement death because of that I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong the strong the same strong one that Jesus was referring to here, Satan. Because he poured out himself to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself poured the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Amen. So that is a, a quote, an allusion to Isaiah 53 where Jesus is stronger than Satan. And he's able to take away from the strongest man hand his own spoil to become his own. Amen. And we see all of that in the story of the exorcism that we just uh, read that the guy who was in captivity of Satan now has been set free to become a slave and uh, a slave and a child of God. Amen. So that's Jesus argument why it's impossible that he's casting out. Uh, demons by the, the by the prince of demons, Elizabeth because Jesus is saying, I am far much stronger than Belizabob. That's why I'm able to cast out demons. Amen. Okay. And then Jesus goes to this verse, and um, this verse is one of the scariest verses. If you're a Christian, this verse should terrify you because it is the words of Jesus are just so insane. He says this in verse Matthew and Luke. He repeated this the exact same idea. If you read with me, um, verse thirty, Matthew twelve thirty. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is just some bold, scary words that Jesus has uttered. Says, whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, there is no neutrality in following Jesus. You're either his follower or you're his enemy. There is no middle. You guys are with me? You're either his follower or you are his enemy. Enemy. This is crazy. There is no middle ground when it comes to following Jesus. You can't just be, you know, I like him. He likes me. We're in good terms. I'm not fully committed to him, but he's not bad. I'm I'm trying to obey some of his commandments. Jesus cut all this and say, it doesn't work this way. You're either 100% my follower, my slave, or you're 100% my enemy. Imagine that. And then the following phrase is even scarier to pastors and ministers and those who do church stuff. Jesus said, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Gather what? Gather the lost to do what? To build the kingdom of God, right? In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're not actively building the kingdom of God you are actively destroying the kingdom of God. Think about that. Think about that. This is just some scary words. If you are not actively building the kingdom of God you are actively destroying the kingdom of God. Let that sink a little bit. I'm going to say it one more time. If you're not actively building the kingdom of God. You are actively destroying the kingdom of God. Um, when some of the Muslim terrorist attacks were happening a while ago, one evangelist, Daniel Colinda, posted this phrase that is just so crazy true. He said, the greatest danger, think about this, the greatest danger that the world is, sa- is facing today is not radical Islam, but nominal Christianity. Think about that. The greatest danger that the world is facing today is not radical Islam. It's nominal Christianity because nominal Christianity in a way is doing more damage to the kingdom of God than radical Islam, which I honestly believe it to be absolutely 100% true. These are just scary words, especially for me as a pastor. This is just... Makes you terrified, right? This is some serious business. Jesus is not talking about building a ministry or building a church. You can very much build a very successful ministry and you are still destroying the kingdom of God. Think about that. Think about that. You can be involved in all sorts of activities in the church and you are still actively destroying the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm not trying to f- make you feel bad about yourself, but I'm just trying to point out to the seriousness of being a fully committed follower to Christ and to the seriousness of actively building the kingdom of God by trying to bring people in, by sharing the gospel, by telling people about Jesus. All the activities we do are good, but if you're not actively gathering, you are actively scattering. This is scary words amen but let, i would just say write it down somewhere and just make sure you always remind yourself of this phrase it's, it's just so scary now jesus moves on in in both matthew and luke to elaborate on the reasoning that he is not casting out demons by by elizabeth in um <clears throat> in matthew jesus here start using um start telling them that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it will never be forgiven. But if you blaspheme against the Son of Man, this can be forgiven. Now, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about here? This is one of the verses that has been misused and abused by a lot of pastors and ministers as well to scare people into a lot of things that they will never be forgiven. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we talked about the intentional constant rejection to God and His love. You remember that? That how? honestly and in- insistently rejecting God to the point of no return this 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 will never be redeemed in an essence that's in the book of Hebrews in 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 John it talks about sin unto death and sin not unto death but I do not think that either one of these two is what Jesus was referring to here when Jesus was talking here about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit he's not talking about intentional utter rejection to God's love and His grace which ultimately that's unrede- unredeemable I'm not saying you you can be redeemed from that but my point is in the context here the Pharisees looked at an act where the Holy Spirit was delivering a man obsessed by the devil and they looked at the Holy Spirit and his work and they flat out called the Holy Spirit demonic powers. You guys are with me? So they not they blaspheme the Holy Spirit in an essence that they flat out called the Holy Spirit demonic powers. My understanding from what I read as well is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, particularly here, is a reference to the sin that the Pharisees have committed in our story when they called out the Holy Spirit demonic powers. You guys are with me? Can you and I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Yes, we can call the Holy Spirit, you know, see God's work and call it out, it's, it's demonic. Is that unforgivable? I think you will be redeemed if you repent, genuinely repent of your sins. So I feel like that phrase here, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, is specific to the Pharisees in that incidence when they utterly rejected the Holy Spirit. You guys are with me? That is not to say that if you honestly and utterly reject Christ that you will go to heaven. If you die rejecting Christ, you have, you're obviously going to go to hell. We read that in Hebrews, right? And John talked about the sin unto death as well. The sin that you cannot be um, redeemed when you don't want to repent. So lack of repentance is definitely unredeemable. You guys are with me? But this is not, I think, what Jesus was talking about here. However, Jesus said that if you blaspheme against the Son of Man you will be forgiven, so why is that? Why Jesus said if you blaspheme against the Son of Man there is hope, but against the Holy Spirit there is no hope. The idea here is that because it was harder for the people of his time to understand that Jesus fully God fully man in the same time Jesus kind of cut them a slack say I understand this is too hard even his own disciples struggled with that so Jesus said because it's difficult to understand now I'm okay that if you sin and ultimately repent and ultimately understand the truth and make make everything right that you will be forgiven ultimately but when you see the power of God like this being displayed in an unquestionable manner, and you still call that demonic power there is no redemption for that. You guys are with me? Questions? Move on? Okay. So um, that is another point Jesus is using to his, um, to explain why um, he is not casting out demons by Elizabeth, the the, the prince of demons. Then Jesus moved on to another parable and that is in verse 33 of Matthew 12. Matthew 12 33. Make a, a, a tree good and its fruit will be good. That's kind of the parable of a good tree, bad tree. And the idea here is this. If Jesus was an evil person, if Jesus was casting out demons by Elizabeth, then he's not going to be able to do good works, which is set the one who's demon-possessed free. You guys are with me? And that... Opposite is also true because the Pharisees are full of evil within. That's why when they talk, they call the Holy Spirit demonic powers because evil tree the Pharisees is producing evil fruit, good tree Jesus is producing good fruit. You guys are with me? Amen. And then Jesus said this that you will be in in Matthew he said that you will give an account not for every evil word that you have spoken, but for every idle word that you have spoken. That just tells us that God's judgment is not going to be, going to be no joke. You guys are with me? And it says that God will also hold us accountable to every thought, every evil thought. Even if you think about something evil and you don't do it, when you stand before God for the day of judgment, you will be counted, you will be held accountable for that. That's just some scary business. Amen? I'm just says these are just some random closing thoughts. We're just closing the the stuff that Jesus was saying here. Finally, here in Luke, Jesus tells us that um, if a man is demon-possessed and this demon is being cast out, this demon will go around, it finds no rest, it can bring seven demons and come back to the person who is demon-possessed, and the end of this man will be worse than his beginning. The idea here is this even in our story when the man was delivered from the bondage and and the position of satan if this man is not going to fill himself up with the presence of christ if he's not going to be a christian then he's more right now for for worse results for worse position by satan and that his his ends will be even worse than his beginnings amen so the fact that people need need to be set free from demonic oppressions is absolutely opposition and oppression is absolutely true but when people are being set free they need that to become christian they need to be filled up with the holy spirit because if they don't it's going to be worse for them than the first time when there's only one demon possessing them you guys are with me amen? amen amen so closing thoughts here let me just close with that one verse one more time As far as the parable of the stronger and the stronger man, I just want to remind us, Jesus is still stronger. Our life testifies to that. And even though we don't see it in the ministry and in the life of the church, we need to pray and seek God that Jesus is still stronger, amen? We need to trust the Word of God not our eyes we need to rely on God's word and keep on pressing through based on what God has promised and one day I pray that we will see the very fulfillment of these scriptures in our individual lives and in the life of the church but let me just read that one verse one more time and then we will pray just just I want you to engrave this in your mind and in your heart amen actually let's read it together Matthew 12:30. Matthew 12:30. Let this be engraved in your heart and, and, and mind. Matthew twelve thirty. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Amen? Let's pray.